Well, I understand a lot of people have been coming to the Lord recently. That's exciting, isn't it? Aren't you glad to be a part of a church where the Lord is at work? And you have a wonderful church, and I love your pastor and his family, and we're going to have a great three days together. Let me say this before we open the Word of God this morning. I'm going to live in a certain portion of Scripture all day today, all day, one portion of Scripture, all three meetings. I hope you'll be here for all of it. Monday and Tuesday, I'm going uh, to preach each time I speak from the life of Moses. And uh, some people look at a conference like what you're planning on Monday and Tuesday and think, well, we're hosting it and we're helping and that is true, but I, I love what your pastor said earlier. It's like a revival meeting, and I hope you'll plan to be here for all of it. Get everything you can get. And uh, don't think, well, that's for the outside people and the preachers that are coming. No, it's for all God's children. And uh, we're going to have a great time in the Word, and I hope you'll just be prayerful and ready to receive what God has for us all. Well, let's open the Word of God, shall we? You have a copy of the Bible with you? I want you to get your Bible and open it with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts. And when you find this great book of action, somebody said the fifth gospel record, I want you to find Acts chapter number 17. We're going to take a little trip today. We're going to go back in time, 2,000 years and halfway around the world, and we're going to travel with the Apostle Paul. Uh, I am a traveler, and not by choice. I guess there is some choice in it, but by call. I mean by that, I don't travel because I love to travel. I travel because God's called me to serve as an evangelist, which means every week of my life I'm in a different place and preaching in different places. And uh, somebody said, you, you must love travel. Uh, travel gets wearying. How many of you have done enough of it to know that? But I love, and I mean this, love what I get to do when I get there. I was in an airport the other day somewhere, and uh, I was getting a cup of coffee, and a businessman stepped up next to me and struck up a conversation. And he said, are you traveling for for business this week, or are you traveling just for fun? And uh, I've heard people say it before, business or pleasure. And I, uh, I thought for a moment, and I said, both. And he said, how's that? And I said, well, I'm a preacher. You know, when people find out you're a preacher, they're not sure if they really wanted to start the conversation or not. But I said, I'm a preacher, and I, I love what I'm doing, so it's both. I'm on the Father's business. I'm on the Lord's business, but I'm having fun doing it. And I really think that was true of the Apostle Paul. He had some hard times and difficult days. Everybody does. But he didn't endure all of that. He enjoyed the Lord along the way. And when you learn to enjoy the presence of Jesus, look, he takes ugly places and makes them beautiful and hard things and makes them glorious because the presence of God changes everything. And when you come to Acts chapter number 17, we just kind of really join Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey. They're moving from place to place and people to people. Uh, the common denominator was in every place they preached Jesus and pointed people to the Word of God. And one of the things that I have learned, I'm testifying now, is that the Lord works everywhere the gospel is preached. In Acts 17, there are three cities that he's in. Now look at them, just we'll scan them for a moment, come back to the other two a little later. In the opening verses, he is in a place called Thessalonica. You can still go to Thessalonica today. And uh, that's interesting to me, but this was an amazing city and an amazing church. And we'll come back to that in the morning service. And then if you skip to the end of the chapter, the second half of the chapter, starting in about verse 22, he is standing in a place called Mars Hill in Athens. And uh, Athens, of course, was quite the place, full of philosophy and lots of discussion and very educated people. 
And I love this. It doesn't matter whether you're in some rural place or urban place, if you're with rich people or poor people, educated or non-educated. The gospel works everywhere. It is still the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. And so you've got him in Thessalonica. You've got him in Athens. We'll come back to that this evening, and we'll talk to you about some things that will help you get the gospel out. But I want to jump right in the middle of the chapter, if I may, to the, to the shortest record of the three places where he was, and yet I think one of the mountain peaks in his ministry. Look at Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse number 10. He's been in Thessalonica, remember, and the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Now, let me tell you the context of the text. The setting of the story is he had to get out of town quickly because they wanted to kill him. Uh, I've been in some places that were hard. I've never once been threatened with my life, not that I know of. I've never had a pastor call me and say, you preached so hard this week, we've got to get you out of town in the night so they don't catch you. But that's exactly what happened to Paul. And so he's run out of town in Thessalonica. He's sent to a place called Berea. And I love this. Look at verse number 10. Who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Every time I read that, I think, can you imagine running for your life? And as soon as you get to the next town, the first thing you do is open the Bible and start teaching again. Now, there's, a, there's a certain courage and boldness that grows out of faith. This is a man that said we're not going to hide, we're not going to cower in a corner, we're not going to let things blow over, we're not going to let things settle down. By the way, they're going to chase him all the way to Berea. You're going to see in just a minute, the people from Thessalonica didn't want anybody else to hear the truth. See, that's the thing. When people don't want the truth, they don't want anybody else to have the truth. So they chase him to Berea, and he's going to get run out of there eventually. But what does he do? Same thing he always does. This was his model. This was his pattern. He goes to the place where the Jewish people would have gathered for the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures on the Sabbath. That was the synagogue. And he always started there because, remember, the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so in this, in this transition book, he's going to the Jew first, and then he turns to the Gentiles. And this was just his way. Uh, I don't want to get sidetracked here, but let me give you something just to chew on this week. Did you know that the gathering, the meeting of the New Testament church follows the pattern of the synagogue? Now let that sink in just a moment. You know God's in, at work in all things. The synagogue came into being during the 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew. So somebody said, well, 400 years, nothing happened. Brother, in those 400 years, God was at work in the world. When God is silent, he is always at work. That's when the Roman roads were built that would carry the gospel message. That's when the Mediterranean shipping routes were discovered that would carry Paul to the ends of the earth and the apostles with the message of Jesus. That is when the common language of the day, everybody speaking the same language, came into being so everybody could understand the gospel message. I'm telling you, the Lord was at work. And one of the things that happened during the silent years between the Testaments was the, the institution of the synagogue. And what was the synagogue? It was different than the temple. It was not the same as the temple. The temple was the place of sacrifice. The temple was the place where the priest operated. The temple was the place of worship. We know that, right? The synagogue was built for one purpose, still true to this day among Jewish people. The synagogue was a place where somebody would stand up, open the Old Testament scriptures, read the scriptures, explain the scriptures, and apply the scriptures. That is what they did in the synagogue. Let me ask you a question. What do we do in the New Testament church? Somebody stands up, opens the Bible, reads the Bible, explains the Bible, applies the Bible. Why would the New Testament church be modeled not on the temple, 
but on the synagogue. Oh, I love this. Would you like to know why we don't have a temple? Because Jesus Christ was our sacrifice for sins. We don't bring sacrifice. How many of you are glad you didn't have to bring a goat to church today? We don't bring a sacrifice. Christ is our sacrifice. And we don't come to a temple to worship. Some, sometimes people say, well, I, I don't go to church. I worship God out in the woods. You ever heard that before? Or I worship God at the beach. Or I worship God. Well, good. Congratulations. You're supposed to. We worship God everywhere. We don't come to one place to worship. I'm glad we have this meeting place today. But you can worship God in other places. We come here specifically to hear the word of God given to our hearts so we can become more the people he wants us to be. And so, following the same pattern, Paul goes straight, makes a beeline for the synagogue, opens the word of God and begins to speak. Now look at verse number 11. We're coming to it. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that... They received the word with all readiness of mind. I wonder, are you ready? I'm not asking, are you present? Are you ready? Did you know people come to church and they're not ready? They're just not even ready for a meeting. Just because you promoted the meeting doesn't mean you're ready. Just because you got up and got dressed this morning doesn't mean you're ready. How many of you think the preacher needs to be ready? Well, I came to tell you the people need to be ready. People say, we need better preaching. We need better hearers. That's what we need. See, the, the key to the work of God is not just what happens in the pulpit. It's what happens in the pew. Aren't you glad you're part of a church where every Sunday you know the pastor's going to stand up and preach the Bible? You don't have to have a guest preacher come in to do that. You've got a Bible preacher and a Bible teacher in this church. I'm glad. But the secret to the blessing of God is not just what the preacher says. It's what the people do. And I ask again, are you ready? You got up this morning. You got ready. I'm looking around. Best I can tell, everybody's clothed and in their right mind. That's very good. We're glad. You're physically prepared, but are you spiritually ready? I got to think this morning while I was getting ready, and this is convicting. This is deeply convicting. But you know we spend more time sometimes brushing our teeth, combing our hair, and getting ourselves physically ready for public consumption. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Then we do working on our inner man to get our soul, the spirit, the never-dying part of us ready to meet with Almighty God. Now let that sink in just a minute. I ask again, are you really ready? Only God knows that. How many of you know you can be present and not be present? Yeah, if you don't believe me, come stand up here where I have to stand every week and look at people. There's people that are there, but they are not there. That's not between me and you. It's between you and God. I ask again, are you ready? Hmm. Look at the verse. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Somebody said, well, they were skeptical. There's a good skepticism. It's called sincerity. You want to be ready and you want to be right. You want to... To know what is true and believe the truth and hold to the truth. And so the, the word here implies sifting. You know, Satan, the desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Remember that? That's a bad sifting. There's a good sifting. All depends on who's using the sieve, you see. When the devil uses the sieve, he sifts out all the truth and leaves only the error. When the Lord uses the sieve of his word and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, he sifts out all the error and leaves the truth. So we're, we're sifting through this. We're sorting through this. I was struck by this this week, just meditating on this. 
Isn't it ironic? They're listening, I think, arguably to the greatest preacher outside Jesus who ever lived. How many of you would like to hear the Apostle Paul preach? I mean, if I said to you, Paul's going to be preaching at noon today, you would not leave and go to lunch. No, you'd stay right here. You'd fight for the front seat. You'd call all your friends. I mean, the great apostle. This is interesting to me. The apostle Paul shows up in Berea, and instead of them saying, well, Paul said it, so it must be so, they went straight to the word of God. Oh, I love this. The preacher and the people were totally dependent on the word of God. You know, I learned early on that nobody gets changed because of my sermons. No, no, it is the Word of God. So when I come to a meeting like this, I'm not depending on me. I'm depending on the sufficiency of the Word. I said to the Lord this morning in prayer, Lord, I'm depending on this. I'm claiming the promise, your Word will not return void. Well, you've got to have the same attitude. Don't look to a man to, to change your life. Look beyond the man. He's just the messenger. I'm just the Lord's postal boy. That's all I am. I'm delivering a message, but the message comes from Almighty God. We, we want not to hear the voice of a man, but the Word of God. They said, is this really so? And I love the result. Look at verse number 12. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men, this is great, not a few. Not a few. I want to talk to you for a few moments about Bereans and their Bible. The Berean people are known for one thing in Scripture, and that is their relationship to the Scriptures. Which, by the way, your relationship to God is really dependent on your relationship to the Scriptures. Don't tell me that you know God and you don't know the Bible. It's impossible. The Bible is God's revelation of himself. You can know something about God from looking at the world he created. But if you want to really know God, you've got to get into the book that he wrote. George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, said, God condescended to become an author, and most people will never even read the book he wrote. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, hold it up in the air, would you please? Would you hold your copy of the Word of God up? That's good. And you, you got many of you got, I see some of you holding your phones up. We got it on our phone now, isn't that right? We got it everywhere. How many of you have multiple copies at your house? And yet, this is interesting, many people who have a Bible are not really Bible Christians. If I were to ask you, are you a Bible Christian, I think everybody in this room, I mean, I know who I'm talking to, I'm talking to the Sunday school crowd. Everybody in this room says, oh, yes, preacher, we're Bible Christians. And we mean by that we believe the Bible, we, we have Bibles, we carry Bibles. That is not what it means to be a Bible Christian. A Bible Christian is a Christian who lives in the Bible who every day gets into the Word and gets the Word into them, whose whole life is shaped by the Word of God. This is not a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing. This is not a a surface thing. This is a deep thing. This is not a part of my life. It's my whole life connected to what God says in His Word. And, you know, let's just get real for a minute. we got a lot of things that we take for granted. One of our evangelists who labors with us, is preaching today in Pakistan. He sent me some video last night of them preaching on a rooftop. (laughs) All young people gathered to hear the Word of God. It's fascinating. And I'm going back in my mind, you know, to all the rooftop experiences in the Bible and that ancient culture and the enemies searching. and, and, And I'm looking at those people, looking at those young people in Pakistan 
many of whom may not even have a Bible, but they just want somebody to read the Bible to them and tell them what God says. And here we are, here we are in Christian America with dozens of Bibles laying around everywhere, and we've got to dust one off to carry it to church on Sunday. And we think we're Bible Christians? No. What if you stood before the Lord today and Jesus said, how'd you like my book? And we say, well, that one part, Lord, was really good. I like that one part. How many of you have a favorite portion of Scripture? Favorite book, chapter, verse? On the count of three, shout it out. One, two, three. That's a great Scripture, whatever you said. If it came from the Bible, it's wonderful. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable, right? It's all wonderful. Let me ask you a question. Has the Lord showed you anything lately from Habakkuk? Have you been in Haggai recently? <laughs> Did you know Zephaniah is actually in your Bible? It's where the pages still stick together, you know? They're still really white and clean. Every part of it. I'm saying to you, it's great. It's great you got a Bible preacher. But you should be a Bible Christian. It's great you have a Bible class. Wonderful. But you should be a Bible student. You want to know what sets the Bereans apart, these Berean believers? You know, you've got the Thessalonican thieves who didn't want anybody to have the truth, so trust the other way. Then you've got the Athenian academia. We'll see them a little later tonight who they were, you know, really intellectual. They were smart. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools because they rejected the truth of God and so you've got, you like bookends, the Thessalonians and the Athenians. And right in the middle, you've got this little group of people in, a, in an out-of-the-way place called Berea. And they were great. In fact, the Bible says they were more noble. Do you know why? Because they were wide open to what God wanted to say through his word. That is convicting to me. This week I discovered that Berea was actually a, a kind of a mountain town. It was really just a wide spot in the road. It was not a big metropolis. It was not an urban center. It was not a large place. It was not well known and on a highway like some of the places like Athens were. It was on a byway. It was out of the way. We live in the mountains of West Virginia. I know there's at least one couple here from West Virginia. And uh, how many others are from West Virginia? Would you raise your hand? Man, you've got several really great Christians in this church. That's wonderful. And uh, we live in the mountains. And we live in a wonderful place. We live in one of the most beautiful places on earth. Uh, but you've you got to know where it is, and you've got to go there on purpose. And uh, somebody said to me a few years ago, they said, where are some of the great places you've preached? And I knew what they meant. They, they meant big places. You know, where, where are the big churches? What are the big meetings you've been in? And I said to this person, I said, you wouldn't know most of them. And the guy was a little startled, and he said, what do you mean? And I said, most of the really great meetings I've been in have been in some little church in a town that nobody's ever even heard of, but the Lord was there. And I meant that. See, we get this idea the Lord has worked in some big place. Let me tell you this. God works in any place. No, no. God works in every place where people get in tune with God and wide open to the Word of God. You know the great place? The place where God shows up. How many of you like God to show up this week? Yes? And I'm going to tell you the secret. We must get wide open to what he wants to say to us through his word. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So 
What is the secret of these Bereans and their Bible? What does it mean to be a Bible Christian? Let me give you three things. I want you to write them down. So get your pen out. Get you something ready. I want you to mark it in your Bible. You may use the, the back of the bulletin or the margin of your Bible to make some notes, but I want you to write it down because I want you to meditate on it long after this meeting is done. And I want you to use this as a little spiritual test of your relationship to God and your response to the Word of God. And let's just take the phrase. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What made them noble? In that, here's the first one, they received the word with all readiness of mind. So number one, would you write this down? They received the word readily. They received the word readily. Nobody had to pump them up, prime them up. Nobody had to stand up, entertain them, tell them jokes, and get them interested. No, no, when they came in, they came in to hear from God. And they understood this is not the word of a man. This is the word of the Lord that we've come to hear. Thus saith the Lord. What does God say? You don't need my opinion. We all need to know what God says. And so they received the word with all readiness of mind. In fact, the word noble is a really interesting word. That's a word we don't use much anymore. It's kind of sad, isn't it? I think part of the reason we don't use the word noble much anymore is there's not as much of it. But I remember growing up as a boy hearing my, my grandparents talk about people, and sometimes they would say this. Have you ever heard this term? He's a noble soul. Those were noble souls. They meant by that those were great people. Those were salt of the earth people. The word noble here doesn't just mean they were good people. The word noble here has the idea not of social standing, but of spiritual interest. In other words, it's not just that, you know, these were well-to-do people or these were likable personalities. No, no, that's not it. See, we judge by the wrong things. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart. Noble here means spiritually they were interested. They were engaged. They were ready. They didn't just hear the word. They heard the word. They were listening with spiritual ears. Let's hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus says, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Vance Havner used to talk about being in tune with heaven. You know what that means? You're on the Lord's frequency. It means you're, you're so open and so willing and so ready that you're the kind of person God could speak to. What if the Lord spoke to you today in a still, small voice? I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical. God speaks through His Word. But what if... Just in the gentle prompting of God by His Spirit today, while the Word was being given, the Lord prompted you to do something. Could you hear that voice? How loud would the Lord have to speak to get your attention? How many times would He have to say before you recognized it was Almighty God trying to speak to you? I think, I think sometimes we're so in, in tune with everybody around us and in tune with the world and the culture we're living in that we are out of step with what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to us. And I'm, I'm saying to you, God's people have to be ready to receive the Word. I was in a church the other day preaching in another part of Florida. My wife was with me, and, and we had a wonderful meeting. And um, it, it was, it was a, a sweet time. It really was. And we got in the car one night. My wife's very discerning. And she said to me, she said, I like the way these people listen to the Bible. And I knew exactly what she meant, but I said to her, explain that to me. And she said to me, well, they're, it's not that they're loud. It's not that they're overly vocal. But she said, you can sense sitting in the congregation, these people are on the edge of their seat, Bible open, 
ready to receive what is being given. It's amazing how even from the pew you can sense that kind of thing. And let me just tell you, from this standpoint, you can definitely sense it. I mean, look, I, I wish everybody, Pastor, had to preach one sermon in their life. Don't you? I'm serious. Everybody had to stand up here at least once and preach a Bible message. And just to look at what we look at sometimes, you know. And people come in, and they plop down in their pew, and they kind of cross their arms and just kind of look at you like, all right, big boy, we dare you. Tell me something we've never heard before. No, that, that shouldn't be it. It should be we come in, we find our place, and we breathe a prayer to God. Woman, the other night I, I slipped in, service had just started, and I was preaching, and I slipped up to my spot, and, and I noticed a lady come in and sat right behind us that I had not seen before. And as the service began, I watched her. She had her head bowed, and she was praying. And I thought, what a great thing. What a great thing for a person to come into a meeting, and the first thing they do is just breathe a prayer to God. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I want to be ready for what you want to say to me. That was, that was good for me to see. But I, I love to come into a meeting when people are not just there to get a sermon or fill an hour or check a box. They really want God to speak to them. You, there is no substitute for that kind of expectancy. Somebody said to me recently, what's one of the things that really bothers you in churches? And I guess they wanted me to you know, come up with you know, a list of things I didn't like. I said, low expectations. And I mean that. I'm not traveling for my health. We didn't come just to do something this week. We want to hear from God. But if we want to hear from God, there's no doubt God will speak. The question is, are we listening? And so the first mark of these Bereans in their Bible, they were willing to be taught. They were open to the truth. They received the word readily. You might want to mark that word in your Bible. Readiness. Do you see the word readiness? It literally has the idea of a welcome mat like an enthusiastic reception. It's like, it's like showing up to somebody's house. How many of you know when you show up to somebody's house and they really weren't expecting you? And they may not be overly excited you're there. And it's like sometimes we're out visiting, we'll knock on the door, and you hear somebody on the other side say, oh, no, the preacher's here. Well, that's always encouraging, you know. And then... And then there's those times you go to visit, and you go to visit somebody you love, and they love you, and my soul, they're standing at the door waiting on you. Come on in. You will know why my wife's not with me. Our daughter and our, our first granddaughter came to visit for a few days. And so it tells you where I rank now, way down the totem pole, you know. But uh, look, when people like that come, you just can't wait to get there and get ready for them and receive them. I wonder, is there that kind of holy enthusiasm in you today to receive the word of God? The word enthusiasm comes from two words, you know, in theos, in God. The very root of the meaning enthusiasm means in God. If anybody ought to be enthused today, it's people who are in God and God is in them. So number one, they receive the word readily. Number two, write this down, would you please? They search the scriptures daily. Now, this is very important because this makes it more than emotion. This is where the intellect comes in. You know, sometimes people can be very emotional in a meeting, but now it crosses the threshold where they're using their brain. How many of you think it's good that we use our brains? And our God, the God of all wisdom, wants us to reason and think and study and dig and search. And so there's the perfect blending of the two. In fact, the little conjunction and is a revelation because this moves it from the meeting to a way of life. Look at it carefully. They, they heard Paul preach. They received the word with all readiness of mind, but they also, what, searched the Scriptures daily. 
That word search is a fascinating word. It literally means to make careful examination of something. Don't just take the preacher's word for it. Search the Bible for yourself. Be a Bible student. Let's do something. Everybody hold your place. Don't lose your spot. Coming right back. Go back a few pages in your Bible to John chapter 5, would you? Did you know this exact same phrase was used by Jesus? They searched the scriptures daily. Look at John chapter 5 and verse number 39. And take note that he's speaking to a bunch of religious people. Did you know it's religious people who need to get right with God? Judgment must begin at the house of God. Sometimes the people who know the most about the Bible and know the most about God and have been saved the longest and been in church for years are the ones that need to wake up and be revived concerning the word again. And look at John chapter 5 verse 39. Jesus said this, search the scriptures. Would you mark that in your Bible? For in them you think you have eternal life. I love this, and they are they which testify of me. We don't study the Bible to know the Bible. We study the Bible to know God. Knowledge puffs up. Some of the most arrogant humans I've ever met in my life are people that win Bible trivia every time they play. We're not just trying to learn facts and data and information. Lord, deliver us from that. Lord, what we want, we want to know God. Would you like to know Jesus better? Then get in the Word. You say, I don't understand it all. Join the club. You say, it's not always easy. It never is. But why would we feed our bodies more than we feed our souls? Why would we spend more time scrolling social media than we would reading the words of the living God? Think on this. This is not just something for the preacher to give to you. You think your pastor should study the Bible? Well, certainly. We wouldn't have a pastor who didn't study the Bible. We wouldn't be ready to preach it. But we don't study the Bible just to preach. We study the Bible to know God. And that means it's not just good for the pastor. It's good for all of God's children. Go back to Acts chapter number 17. These Bereans were not preachers. These Bereans were just believers. But they were genuine believers, sincere enough to search the Scriptures. And notice this carefully. When they did it, they did it daily. Years ago on our podcast, one of the first studies we did, I went through the Bible and discovered all the use of the word daily, 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 all the daily things that should be in the life of a believer, daily confession and daily worship and daily praise. And here's another one, daily scripture. Give us this day our daily bread. When I got up this morning, I didn't just need to read the Bible so I could have something to say to you. This morning, I needed to open the word of God because I need God to say something to me. I didn't read the Bible today just as a preacher. I read the Bible today as a Christian. I want God to speak to me, to show me himself, to, to get all the junk out of my life and bring me nearer to God. How does that happen? When we begin to search the Scriptures daily. And notice why they did it. Whether those things were so. I think it was Ronald Reagan that said, Trust but what? Yeah, right. So this is not some blind faith. No, no, our faith is rooted in Scripture. Faith coming by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You need more faith right now? You need more Bible right now. Did you know you cannot overdose on Scripture? Even good things like certain vitamins you can get too much of, but you cannot ever get too much Bible. That's impossible. And the more of God's Word you put in, the more you start thinking like Jesus. It's amazing. And the more God's words you put in, the more all the trash gets crowded out because there's not room for both. You're, you're, you're cleansed by the washing of water by the Word. And the more of God's Word it goes in, the more of heaven's wisdom comes in to your soul. I mean, it's a sad thing to think we carry a Bible around in our hand, don't get it in our heart. We're carrying the treasure house of heaven with us everywhere we go and living like paupers. 
Some people are going to spend their whole life asking God for certain things that would have been provided if they just read the Bible. And so these Bereans, what made them noble souls? Number one, they received the word readily. Number two, they searched the scriptures daily. They moved from observation to interpretation to application. In other words, they said we want to understand it, we want to know it, and then we want to make it our own. Number three, look at verse number 12. Therefore, many of them believed. Here's the third thing. The Bereans in their Bible, they received the word readily, they searched the Scriptures daily, and number three, they believed the truth fully. They believed it. I love this. When you look at verse number 12, there's men and women. There's Jews and Greeks. But the common denominator is this. It had to be personal. Nobody can choose this for you. You've got to choose it for yourself. We had a Bible teacher years ago named Frank Sells. He was a great man. I can see him right now. He was completely bald. He would sit on the platform and rub his bald head and teach the Bible. And Man, you talk about a noble soul. He knew God. He knew the Bible. And somebody occasionally would make a comment about something, bring something out of Scripture. And I still remember that old fellow, after all those years of studying the Bible, he would say, hmm, oh, that's really good. He said, I'm going to make that my own. You know what he was saying? I'm going to personalize that. I'm not just going to say, well, our church believes this, or our pastor said this. No, no, I'm going to make that my own. I'm going to believe it fully. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a, a generation of Christians today who don't just go to church on Sunday. They study the Bible every day and who don't just know what the pastor believes. They know what they believe. And the only way that's ever going to happen is if we get back into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into us. Part of the reason we have this daily broadcast is I'm just trying to help people study the Bible. I'm just trying to whet people's appetite a little bit. Get in the Bible for yourself. It's amazing. It's a miracle book. The Holy Spirit works through the Word. At the beginning of this year, we took a Saturday and we had a little Bible seminar. And we just started releasing them. We're going to release them one a week all, all this month. But we had a little Bible seminar. And I thought we'd have a few people, local yokels, you know, show up to, to learn how to study the Bible. And we had people come from seven states. It was snowing and icing. And, man, those people were hungry. And I thought to myself, this is interesting because there's still some Bereans in this world. And we talked about how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to pray the Bible, how to teach the Bible. I'm telling you, every good thing God has ever shown me and every good thing God has done in my life is in some way connected to the Word of the living God. You may be living in Thessalonica and you may be surrounded by idolatry like they were in Athens, but you, my friend, can be a Berean believer if you will be a Bible Christian. How many of you would like to be a Bible Christian? Then let's tell the Lord. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I'm not giving a public invitation to ask people to come forward, but I want to give a little application here. Instead of me just praying, I'm going to pray for you, but instead of me just praying, I'm going to ask you right now, would you pray? Would you ask the Lord to help you get back into the Word? Why don't you go ahead and determine when you're going to start reading and where you're going to begin in Scripture? Maybe we should begin by saying, Lord, forgive us for neglecting it. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Would you pray something like this? Lord, speak to me today. Help me be ready to receive whatever you have to say to me all day today. Lord, give us that readiness, that openness, hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Now let's go beyond today. Would you pray this? Lord, help me search the scriptures every day this week. Every day this week. Let's get real specific about it. How many of you will take a challenge and make a commitment today? Maybe you do it already. If you do, great, recommit. But how many of you will make a commitment today that God helping you, you're going to try to spend some time in your Bible, you and your Bible, every day between now and next Sunday. If God lets you live and Jesus tears is coming, you say, I'll make that commitment every day this week, daily, to search the Scripture. Would you raise your hand big and high in the air with me? Oh, that's wonderful. Tell the Lord that right now. Ask the Lord to help you to be a Berean. Father, may this church be full of not just good Christians, nice people. May it be full of noble men and women. May it be full of people hungry after God. May it be full of folks genuinely ready to receive. May it be full of people who come each Lord's Day having already searched the Scriptures. And I pray that you'll deepen our walk with you. And you'll make us the people you can use in this world. And I praise you for it. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.